0: Welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is Episode 18, and I have the pleasure of talking with Peter Jacobson today. Peter, welcome. Good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me. This is my pleasure to be here and speaking with you.
0: Fabulous. I usually read people's bios, even though they are just the tip of the iceberg of who somebody is. But I'm, I am still going to read Peter's. Before I read Peter's, I'll just let the listeners know that this series, Creativity Conversations, was something I dreamed up because I wanted to disabuse people of the notion that they weren't creative. Most people think that creativity has to do with artistic expression, but guess what? It's more than that. So Peter's going to give you some examples of why that's true. (laughs) So Peter's bio. Peter is the founder and executive director of Total Vocal Freedom, he is a teacher of the Alexander Technique, which means he is certified by the American Society of the Alexander Technique itself. In addition to his private teaching, Peter has taught workshops and group classes to musicians at Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore. Is it Towson or Towson? Towson, right? Towson, yeah. Towson, Towson University in Maryland, Gettysburg College, Pennsylvania, and the Orchestra Institute of Napa Valley. Concurrent with his Alexander Technique teacher training, Jacobson has earned advanced degrees in conducting from the University of Illinois, the Peabody Institute of the Johns Hopkins University, and is also a certified transformative coach through Supercoach Academy. Well, that's impressive. Thank you. (laughs) Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey into the musical world and what's kept you there?
1: Absolutely, Um, I think like most, musicians i got a relatively young start my my mom was insisted insistent that my brothers and i uh, brother and i join um, piano lessons take piano lessons and so we started when we were young and I, I really took to it and i also wanted to be a drummer and one of the requirements because of course every young boy wants to be a drummer and you had to have i think it was three years of piano so that was a motivating factor Um, I think I started piano in first or second grade and then we could join the high school band in fifth grade and so I met that requirement and became a drummer as well and absolutely loved being part of the school band and taking lessons and then I started drum set and guitar and I just I couldn't I couldn't get enough must have
0: been in a rock band at some point
1: I was. I was in various rock bands and you know at the same time I, my parents were very good about having lots of different kinds of music around. My dad I remember sitting in the living room with him old shade carpeting big stereo console with um, a record player and he had all of these LPs and we would listen to big band and Harry Mancini and Britt Kempford and all of these great big band jazz musicians and so that kind of lit another fire which was you know jazz and then we'd go to the orchestra um, of course, just going to movies and hearing that music too, as well. I tell a story about going to E.T. when I was four years old and being terrified of the movie, and I, I just jumped in my mom's lap and just stayed buried. But I, I remember the music and how evocative and gorgeous and and just spellbinding the music was. And a oh, fun little story about that. I got to meet John Williams about eight years ago and he was so generous and so kind. And I just told him what a difference, you know, he had made his music to, to obviously millions or billions of people. Yeah. So so that was kind of the start of it. And then in high school it became clear, like, this is, this is what I want to do. I uh, started studying composition, writing my own music, um, became very interested in conducting as well, because I got a little bored as a percussionist counting rests and (laughs) waiting for that one, you know, triangle ding in a 40 minute symphony. I was like, I want to be up front and that guy waving his arms and having all the fun. (laughs) So I always joke, I gave up one stick and became a conductor.
0: (laughs) Very good. And after you finished all of your training, which I'm Actually, now wondering if that was all sequential, or you you just did some here and then did some there and found aha, let's try this and have it all blend together. How did yeah. that work out?
1: Well, I think like most most people, especially creative people, I feel like uh, I'm not done with my training.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I feel like oh, absolute work in progress. In fact, last night I was just digging into some very basic music concepts about. Counterpoint and musical lines, and I'm taking this class uh, with a former conducting teacher of mine called Make Beautiful Music,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're really kind of going back to the basics and how do you how do you let the, the music unfold in the most magical, beautiful way? So I really hope I never stop learning. But I I, I went to college uh, at Concordia College in Fargo, Moorhead, and did a music ed degree. Was a public school um, music teacher for six years which was great fun to work with teenagers to teach all the different instruments to conduct different you know bands jazz ensembles I also had a community orchestra um, in my hometown of Buffalo Minnesota and that was that was so much fun and then I just decided I wanted to go deeper and went to the University of Illinois studied two years with Don Schleicher conducting and then um, went to Peabody and studied two more years there with Um, A really well-known conducting teacher, Gustav Meyer, who worked alongside Leonard Bernstein at the Tanglewood Institute for many years. Ah. So it was cool to work with him and kind of get, you know, hear those stories about Leonard Bernstein and all these great musicians and conductors. Really, really inspiring.
0: That must have been amazing. What was it like being a music teacher? And what were the kinds of challenges that you had when you were sharing your love of music with teenagers?
1: Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I would often joke, I have a hundred students in a room with noisemakers in their hands. <laughs> so you can imagine. So it, there had to be a sense of, of discipline and, you know, this is how we do things. And so, um, and of course, they're, they're there for social reasons. They love to, to talk. And so that was, that was one of the challenges is to get them focused. But at the same time, they're electing to be there. They're making the choice to be in music none very few of them will pursue music beyond um, high school but I really wanted to instill in them a, a love and a, an appreciation of music and so uh, it was a lot of it's just so much fun I just love I love teenagers the they they haven't had time to be jaded yet in life although by the senior year sometimes they <laughs> can be a little jaded but um, I, I really love their enthusiasm and and sharing my passion with them, which I think is the most important thing, really, for any subject, just for the the teacher to have a passion. And that just kind of has this ripple effect.
0: You know, this is probably an obvious association, but as you're talking, I'm thinking about Benjamin Zander and his career as a conductor and the unlimited passion that he always seemed to have, just Welling up and spilling out, and it would inspire his students to come from a a different place inside themselves. Whether they were performing with an instrument or using their voice or whatever it was, it just seemed like there was so much life coming out of him that it was infectious.
1: Absolutely. Do, do you know the story of the um, that Mr. Rogers tells about loving the clay?
0: No, you... but please tell it.
1: It's a terrific story. He tells the story of this primary school director, uh, I think it was a teacher that invited a, a clay artist, a sculptor into the classroom, but he had a, a stipulation that the artists couldn't teach. All they could do is make sculpture in front of the students so that the artist came in and worked with clay and made sculptures. And, and then for weeks afterwards, the kids would make the most wonderful creations out of clay, even though they weren't taught to do so. And and so and Mr. Rogers said that wouldn't have happened if that artist hadn't come in and loved clay in that way. And so he talks about loving the clay. And I just think it's the most beautiful way to express passion. And and when we show up as cr- uh, performers, especially, and we just love the music, we we love the paint or the brush or <laughs> the words or whatever it is. Just love the clay. People pick up on that. They get that they get the feeling like you said it becomes infectious and there, there's there's i think the first most satisfying thing in life is to to be in that space of of expression and creation and and loving what you do i think the second most satisfying thing in life is to watch someone else do that it's just it's so beautiful to watch someone in there.
0: what do you think room. what do you think that's about
1: that's a really good question <laughs> I think we're drawn to love. I think we are just, it's sort of like the love inside of the observer or the listener just is so magnetically attracted to the love that they see or hear or experience in the performer. That's what it seems to me. It's like love, listening to love.
0: Mm, Gosh, that's gorgeous. So I'm just going to throw this question out there. Do you think that there's a connection between love as a a nest for creativity
1: oh i love the way you said that absolutely absolutely i mean i just don't know anybody that's more creative or that that's not let me start over i don't know anybody that's creative when the conditions are not loving when they don't feel safe when they feel criticized or judged or rejected i don't know anybody that makes great art or poetry, or music, or whatever it is, when they're in those conditions. So, it, I think there is a really interesting connection between love and creativity. And I wonder—I love the word you said, "nest." And so, where is the boundary between love and creativity? Is there a boundary, or are they just sort of what's what's the um, what's that term in art that I think it was uh, was it da Vinci that the, the Svogato or the chiaroscuro or what's that? I don't know that well sure. com-
0: I'm not quite sure what you're referring to, so I might get it if you keep talking but It's sort of
1: like a blending when when you b- are able to like b- blend one yeah. color into the other. maybe it's just called blending or
0: yeah we're we're talking about words and concepts, but there is some kind of a flavor I think about, and maybe I'm making all of this up, but it seems to me when you when someone is creating and they're coming from a place of delight and surprise like oh my gosh look at this wow it just it lights someone else up in a way that's different from someone who creates art from a origin of suffering you know the suffering artist and that persona which is fairly dark and seems to reflect an attitude of really having to grit it out and gut it out when they're creating
1: yeah but but it does make me wonder about i mean you and i both know that the creative process isn't all sunshine and rainbows i mean there is there is an element of struggle and, and for me the the person that comes to mind is beethoven mm. i mean if you look at his manuscripts he it was just torturous that he it was not natural to him he really had to struggle and suffer, and of course he was kind of you know one of the first people to I didn't, I wouldn't say invent, but the struggling artist we think of you know Beethoven. Obviously he was deaf and and just struggled socially and and in his life in 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 general, but but an incredible genius. Yet I think his his the reason that he was able to get through those hard times, those struggles or whatever it was, is because of his passion because of his love. And he even wrote a famous document called the Heiligenstadt Testament, where he, he first noticed he was becoming deaf and he and he basically said, What a terrible affliction for for a musician. Like why have the gods cursed me in this way? But but then he says, I'm I'm not going to take my own life because I love music so much. Mm. I'm gonna struggle through this. Now what's interesting about Beethoven is he was a, an incredible a virtual so a pianist so if he hadn't become deaf he may have continued on his career as a pianist and we may not have this wonderful music that he that he composed because he couldn't he couldn't perform anymore it's it's, it's so interesting so that the kind of that relationship between you know s- struggling and 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 passion i mean i think of like we think of the birth process i mean it's not like the baby just pops out there's a there's a <laughs> well, there's some there's, pain there exactly so it's like i think if people suffer under the illusion that oh creation just should be this easy flowing it's like that's not my experience of it
0: so tell me a little bit more about what your experience is of being creative of composing of teaching other people and and in a little bit i want you to talk about what's at the heart of what you teach with your program but tell me a little bit of your perspective on that
1: there's there's usually an idea so that this pops in my head and who knows where it comes from
0: that's another question
1: that's exactly <laughs> who knows who knows where it comes from these ideas just i think and we all have them it's not like only creative people get good ideas everyone gets good ideas and so it just kind of pops in or appears and i, I don't understand i don't i haven't figured out like the recipe Oh, if I, if I go for a walk for seven minutes and then yeah, I haven't figured it out. But so the idea appears and then it's it kind of starts to form. And usually there's a there's an impetus behind it. Like, yeah, I need to I need to do something with this. I need to because I'm an educator and a teacher, I'll often get ideas for programs or, or courses or events. And so that'll drop in and be like, yeah, that sounds really exciting to me. I would love to offer that to people. And so then I'll take it and. And work with it. And they're, they're off, there's often a stage which, you, which I could call like the wrestling match, where it's just like, that's the struggle. <laughs> I'm really trying to get it into the right form or shape. And it's, it's usually kind of confusing. I'm not clear about how it should look or, or, or sound or whatever the creation is. And wh- what I've been learning is it's, it's often just a matter of time it's just time and and sticking to it being persistent and and then eventually what was hard becomes easy and then something new unfolds and it's like the the path becomes clear about how to proceed or, or work with it so and then in that sort of clarity there's a there's kind of this release after the struggle there's kind of a and that is an amazing feeling
0: yeah
1: as you know right
0: yeah when yeah. you are in the place before that happens, where it's kind of sticky and confusing and it hasn't quite birthed itself, do you find that there is any typical self-talk going on in your head that makes it harder? Or have you found a way to sidestep that?
1: No, that's, uh, that's the that's the constant critic companion. It's like, oh, people aren't gonna like this or they're not gonna want it or, You know what? What right do you have to create or make anything or share? Of course, that's like always, always there. It sounds
0: like you don't take it too seriously. It's like background music.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I can really get, get interested in that. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I've started to kind of see it for what it is, in the past few years. And like, okay, everyone's got it. It's not that interesting to me anymore, to listen to that voice and to just come back to the original idea and why I'm doing it and what it feels like to to create and be in the flow. But yeah, I'm guessing you have that as well.
0: Oh gosh, yes. And I'm just thinking about how, for people who like to make stuff, whatever it is, that there is that point at which there is a lot of self-criticism that happens. And a lot of us take it really seriously. And yet, once you realize Almost everybody has those voices. We're no different than anybody else. It's not like we're so unique and it's such a precious thing. You know, it's just not worth paying attention to. It's part of the terrain, it seems.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I think, at least I'll speak for myself, but it seems like this is pretty common that we're not very good judges of our own work. Mm-hmm. Like, again, going back to Beethoven, the, the, the the symphonies and the sonatas that he thought would be so popular were not and the ones the ones that he didn't think were much were became the really popular ones and so i think we're not very good judges of our work which kind of is a clue that maybe we shouldn't judge it so much and just kind of just do it and put it out there and just it's not our job to judge uh, there's a great quote from Julia Cameron that says it's it's kind of a prayer that she says to herself it says god I'll take care of the quantity, you take care of the quality. <laughs> so I'll just produce, I'll just, you know, and then the quality's up to you. Surrender and just, just create, produce and not worry about it.
0: I'd love to follow up with that because that's a wonderful quote. And it seems to me it points to something that most creative people acknowledge, which is something wants to come through. Yeah and they're not necessarily taking credit for it which is interesting because we take a lot of credit for all the self criticism but we don't <laughs> we don't take a lot of credit for being the the midwife if you will of something coming through and that's that question of what wants to show up what wants to come through seems to resonate with a lot of people even if they don't actively announced that that's the process that they're in but that it happened it's like i didn't there's just so many artists who say it just came to me
1: yes yeah
0: so that we're channels or vessels or vectors or whatever you want to call it
1: yes yeah i think that is a a great way to say it Uh, bobby mcferrin a couple years ago i attended one of his um workshops at omega kind of close to you and uh he it was a vocal improvisation workshop but he's he's got this idea of catching song so that there's actually music in the air and it's just kind of our job to get quiet and to listen and then right so we which was a great relief for me because i had the idea that i needed to create in the moment this amazing music but to just think of catching it and really just listening to the music that's already there one of the um one of the analogies that I use in my my teaching is the seed in the soil. So like the seed has the plant, the plant or the tree in it. There's not much we can do to improve on that, but we can tend to the soil around it to make sure it has the best chance to to grow and thrive. And so we get these seeds of ideas and I really think it's our job to tend to the soil and not worry about the seed. Where do the seeds come from? I don't know. But I do know that when I tend to the soil around it, that the seed has a much better chance of of growing. And not all seeds grow. I mean, we know this from nature too. You know, thousands or millions of seeds will drop from a tree and maybe only one or two will actually grow.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what you teach and total vocal freedom, because that certainly implies a a freedom, implies an openness and a receptivity. Yeah. So share some of that with us.
1: Well, I think it's exactly what I was just saying. It's, it's tending to the soil. So in any art form, in any human expression, the primary instrument is the human being. Mm. It's, the, it's the body and the mind. And I think it's really easy to lose sight of that, in, in particularly in, in singing or making music. We get obsessed with the larynx or the singing and not even having an awareness that there's a whole body that's supporting that. There's a whole mind, there's a whole self. We talk about the unity of, of the self, we're whole beings. And, and that is, if that's not tended to, that's the soil, then the seed won't grow. And so we, t- we spend a lot of time talking about the nature of the design of the mind and the body, how they work together. We, we talk about, you know, of course, the physical structure how the body is put together so we can produce the most beautiful sound. We talk about that inner critic. We talk about thinking constructively, which is another way to, to, to say thinking creatively, to create what we do want instead of focusing on that voice that says what we don't want. So it's not we're not necessarily teaching people how to sing, but every student that's taken the work seriously that we teach becomes a better singer because how they use their whole self improves and therefore the activity they're doing must improve
0: so would i be accurate in thinking that what you're saying helps them with uh help them be the vehicle for where that music originates
1: yes yes
0: can you give me an example of a student that was singing in a way that wasn't their best Mm. and what they were able to do by understanding and being taught what you're offering and you're teaching
1: yeah so it's I mean I'll give an example I was working with a student this week in a, in a class and um, it sounded beautiful but it didn't seem like she was really connecting to her whole self to the music in a way that I, I was pretty confident that she could and so she sang I, I listened to her talk about it and then I, I invited her to close her eyes and to tune into the sensations of her body, to have an awareness of all the sensory information that was available to her, and to kind of get her out of her head and and, and thinking and really tune into the whole system. And she immediately became present and just kind of locked in to to the now or to the present moment. And so we were just, you know, I was having her imagine then from that space, imagine the music, I had her imagine a field, you know, of all these sensations like flowers and that she was just going to add her, her song, her singing as a part of this landscape, but it was, it was very slow. It unfolded very slowly, a lot of silence and imagination and, and just what, what we call being with yourself. And then she sang again, and it was it was a magical moment uh, i I didn't know what to say afterwards, so i just that was it and then we were we were we were done. She felt complete, and she wrote me afterwards and said, how oh, what a great experience that was for her
0: Do a lot of performers get caught up in aside from where they're where they're singing from, do they get caught up in the phrasing or what are the kinds of things that normally a, a singer, a vocalist, would get caught by that would keep them from really singing from that more present, deeper place that you're talking about?
1: Well, the the interesting thing about singing is it's one could make the case that it's the most intimate art form because the instrument is actually it's you and, and the, where the sound is being produced is inside of you, unlike a violin player, right? So it's incredibly intimate, incredibly personal. And therefore it's it's so intimately tied into our identity, who we think we are, what we're capable of, what we think about our body and our mind. And a lot of negative self-talk, which because we're whole beings, that negative self-talk cr- creates tension in the body. And so a lot of times singers will come to our school and they'll be complaining of tension but really the tension is originating in their in their mind how they're thinking about themselves that the way that the ways that they're talking to themselves is just not helpful it's not helping them so we we will often kind of distract that inner critic by pointing their awareness to other parts of them where they may be less judgmental or more open it's wonderful to work with musicians because you always have the music too the music as a as a source of something we can um use use to support us and that we can rely on and that's i mean if you're singing great music that's really easy too yeah go ahead
0: there was a movie that came out gosh a while back called song catcher don't know if you ever saw it but it was a really interesting movie and I think it took place during the around the turn of the century where uh, a woman musicologist travels to the uh, Appalachians and is recording their musical history that has been handed down from generation to generation and has its origins in England and Scotland and Ireland and one of the most really beautiful moments was when she was recording a young girl who was 17 or 18 and she began to sing a song that had been passed down through her family for generations and she sang as if she was speaking there was no transition there was no getting ready there was no lead up there was no prep it was so incredibly natural it was just as though she was carrying on a conversation Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what i imagine uh, incorrectly or not about what it is that you're sharing is that this process of being creative with the voice is natural it's for those of us who can hold a note it's it's simple it's it's what just a part of us. And it's nothing that it's only when we get into that self talk that it turns into something else.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. In fact, it's one of the things that I that I'm always kind of looking for, when I listen to a singer is, is I'll just be having a conversation with them. And I'll say, Well, why don't you go ahead and sing that. And I'll notice that transition from them just being themselves talking to me, to being a singer and then they sort of do all these weird things with their body and lift up their chest and plant their feet and and it's like well what if you didn't do that and i'll often um kind of trick them we'll just be having a conversation i'll say now don't change a thing and just sing and then it's so natural it's so beautiful it just comes out of them in a very like you said kind of authentic organic way
0: yeah this is something that i notice In where I live in Saratoga Springs, there is uh, something called Opera Saratoga, and it's been around for 30 years. They bring in young students who perform four or five operas during the summer, and they tour through local schools and libraries, and they sing. And you can really see how some people feel that they have to perform instead of just sing from that wholeness in them. And it is incredibly clear. People's certain, as you say, certain positions, certain postures, and then it's contrasted with the ones who are just full of it. And they just sing from that deeper place in themselves.
1: Yeah. Now, I understand why why singers do these kind of weird things, because it is so vulnerable and it is so intimate and you're really putting on display your inner world in sound form for other people to hear and and so i understand why someone would have a little bit of armoring or kind of protecting themselves i i I totally understand that so one of the things that we're it's kind of trying to you know ease or tease out of them that you don't need to wear that armor that's okay that you're safe that the audience isn't there to judge you that they're just to appreciate and love your music but it, I think, I mean, I've had this experience in, in music as a performer. Sometimes I have to protect myself against the emotions because if I let myself feel everything, I'd be overwhelmed and wouldn't be able to perform because it's so intense. It yeah. is so, uh, you know, it's, it's it's and that's why we do what we do. But I learned that from a teacher of mine kind of early in my career. I remember watching the Chicago Symphony Brass and just being overwhelmed blown away by the sound and the music and the emotion and i i turned to my friend scott and i said how are they they must be feeling this 10 times what what we are and he said no no they're not they can't they don't have the luxury of feeling it they're producing the sound so that we can feel them
0: oh interesting
1: yeah how do you
0: how do you do that
1: (laughs) i I don't know i mean i think a do it in a lot of different ways that's part of the training now some musicians they they do use tension. To, but I think there are other ways to do that, that you don't have to, you know, kind of make yourself rigid. But it But it's absolutely part of the training.
0: Tell me something about your conducting and what that experience is like, and where you see the creative process emerging within that. Or use some other words besides creativity, whether it's I don't know, possibilities or seeing something new, what makes, make, you know, it seems to me that cre- creativity makes things, sounds like a commercial, make things come alive yeah. for us and they awaken something in us that wants to be more alive, wants yeah. to feel more than than the kind of the dullness that many people feel in daily life.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, being a conductor is is an interesting role because in a sense the music has always already been created well not the music but the score so the the composer has put down on paper as best they can what they hear in their imagination in hopes that the performers will recreate it now that becomes interesting when some composers don't put a lot of information and so then there's Interpretive issues that all musicians have to deal with. But as a, as a conductor, you're more of a recreator than a creator. You're trying to recreate the composer's creation with all of these creators that are creating the sound. And it's really get, trying to get everyone enrolled in the same vision for what the music should sound like, to get everyone aligned and that's that's also there's an art to that as well there's a there's a creative element to that how do you unite sometimes a hundred plus musicians to essentially play from the same page to be on the same page
0: yeah well so here's a question if you don't mind my interrupting you which is what is alignment what is it
1: yeah well first i mean there's there's kind of the basic ones so the most basic is rhythm. <laughs> so, are we playing in the same time? Are our rhythms aligned? Are if the if the trumpets and the violins um, have a unison passage? Are they together? Right. So that's alignment in its most basic form. Um, getting the rhythms. There's intonation. So, getting the chords in tune, the tones in tune, and the melodies and the harmonies and things like that. But then there's the more subtle aspects of how you're shaping the phrase is the whole first violin section shaping the phrase in the same way because it even if one person's not it will detract f- from the music so it's 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 quite complex and as conductor you you're not, you can't do everything you, you're not playing the instruments for them so you you have to be able to empower them to you have to be able to draw out the best music that's inside of them it's infinitely challenging as you can imagine, there's nothing better than being in the middle of a Beethoven symphony or a Strauss tone poem or whatever the music is. Yeah,
0: This might be a little bit of a sidebar, but I'm thinking about the role that a conductor plays in the way that you described it. And I'm thinking about Eric Whitaker when he created those virtual choirs. Yeah. How does a conductor inspire and align people who are recording from their own homes?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. And I think it's quite relevant because I think we're gonna be seeing a lot more virtual performances and things like that. I, I don't actually know the process if he, if there was a video of him actually conducting, because if the musicians are well-trained and they're paying attention, the conductor will be offering both um, obvious and subtle clues or how to interpret the music. So so that's probably what they ended up doing. I don't know if they had a discussion about it or, but yeah, when you're, I think the most recent one was like thousands of singers. And yeah. there's probably some elements of the, the the mixer and the editor that also plays a part in that as well.
0: Yeah. I, I remember one of the earlier compositions and I don't remember if it was uh, Lux Eterna or something else, but there's one point at which a soprano sings a really 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 high note and then she has the most beautiful smile on her face Mm. after she's reached it and it looked completely effortless completely effortless and that was so uplifting not only to hear but to see that it wasn't a struggle it came from it came from somewhere and and she just let it out in a way that was there was no holding on to it yeah. it was just an offering
1: that's a great way to say it and that's that's what i think all singers and musicians and performers aspire to that it's it's kind of like we get ourselves out of the way so that the in expr- the expression can come through us in a very flowing and effortless way
0: boy there's so much we could dive into in the in the musical realms about what it is that is emerging. I'm curious if you've drawn any dotted lines from the work you do as a vocal teacher and conductor to what you see in life. And so let's say we've got somebody listening to this call who is not a musician, not an artist, not anybody who would be typically characterized as creative. Can you see any parallels in your experience as a teacher and as a performer that cross the line into everyday living?
1: Well, there's uh, yeah, there's so much to say about this. I think, you know, if I was if I was to speak to someone that is not musical or doesn't think they're creative, I think I would like you said I would want to disabuse them of that notion, that belief that they have and and just remind them that they are made of the same stuff as you and me as artists. We're, we're made of the same stuff. We're created from the, the same stuff. And oftentimes we, we don't see like an idea. That's something creative, an idea that pops into our head or, or uh, making a meal. That's creative. Like to create. To create is really there was nothing and now there's something. <laughs> so I heard a really good definition of creativity recently. I was Rupert Spira said, creativity is freedom from the past.
0: Ooh. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And how do you hear, how do you interpret that?
1: Well, it means that I'm not bound or restricted by the way I've done things, by my habits, by, by the old. I can I can get some, I can receive a new thought or a new idea. Now, before we were talking about kind of what are the conditions in which those I- ideas Appear and I was joking that I don't have a recipe, but I think there are things. I think there are things we can do to encourage those ideas to drop in. For me, one of the, the main things is is quiet, is silent, slowing down, is resting, is just taking moments to pause. In in Alexander work, there's this. He came up with this idea of inhibition, not in the Freudian sense, but inhibition in that the modern way we might say it as pause to pause. So you know if we have the the impulse to do something we just pause we create a bit of space between the stimulus and the response and there's that great victor frankl quote that between the stimulus and the response can be a space and in that space is freedom and in that freedom in that space that 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 little bit of freedom we have the choice to follow the the familiar path or to make a new choice and that so that's the i guess the freedom from the past is when we And we can choose to do things as we have done in the past. So I don't know if I'm getting to your question, but.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about the fact that in the last six, seven months, however long we've been visited by this virus, is that many people have had a forced pause imposed on them that has given them an opportunity to really look at their lives and say, is this really the way do I want to go back to the way it was, which we can't, for one thing, but in terms of doing things without being, doing things in a routine sort of way without much aliveness to it, just going through the motions, putting in the time, getting the meal on the table, getting the laundry done, doing what, watching television, or having the same kind of job, same kind of uh, challenges in the job is that really what I want now and I and even that to me is a creative exploration because yeah. we're entertaining something new
1: mm-hmm. yeah and there's there's this sense I've heard this from many people including myself that people have been either forced or chosen to go inward to, to go inward to to the source you know and as you were talking it's like I just have these moments where it's it's like, what an amazing thing to be alive. You said the word aliveness. Like If you really stop and think about it and just look around, we're, we're all having an experience that's being created from something. I don't know where, I don't understand it, but it's like every moment is just being created and we get to be in the creation. That, And I think people, people wake up to that and then they they fall asleep to it too. I I've fallen asleep to it many times in my life. But then it's sort of this waking up. It's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm aware." What a trip. <laughs> what a trip.
0: You know, it's really interesting because some people will take, you know, it all depends on where a person is at and what they want in their lives because I think what you're talking about and what we're talking about in this conversation is there's always a possibility for something new to emerge and we have to be at a point in ourselves as to whether we're going to pursue it or not whether we're open to it or whether comfort or fear are going to take the better of us
1: yeah yes
0: and you must see that a lot in performance
1: yeah yeah absolutely and it's and it's sort of where where does one have their awareness and their focus? Are they playing to to not lose? Are they playing to win or are they just playing to play? Just to, just to and we, we've been talking recently in our school about are you singing from lack or love? Mm. Are you singing from uh, please like me, please approve of me, don't reject me? And there's a kind of a feeling behind that that's like needy or codependent versus I love to sing and I just can't help myself. I just have to express the song that's in my heart to be a little cheesy about it. But, you know, it's just, I, I, lo- I There's I feel complete inside. There's nothing I need from the listener, from the audience. I just love to sing and express myself. That's a very different feeling. And so I think the inner life of the, um, well, not only artist or, or singer, but just human being is is essential to have a sense of, completeness inside of ourselves and to create from that I I said to a singer recently you know is your is your singing a search for peace love and happiness or an expression of it and it's again it's a very different feeling and we could say the same thing about life are you living life as if you know you're out there looking looking for for something there's a great Saint Francis of Assisi quote he says what you are looking for is what is looking and you know Mavis and she said recently you are what you're looking for
0: i've heard that quote in many different variations there's there's a a middle eastern version that is along the same lines is is that which you are seeking is seeking you yes
1: yes so
0: where it all comes from yeah it's important
1: yeah yeah i think at least the, the trap that i fell into is really Okay, so thinking of myself as, as limited and, and finite and with borders and only capable of certain things. And as I started to see beyond that, at least I believe that we're all connected and we're all connected so to some divine source of infinite creativity and wisdom. So we can, I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> we're kind of connected to this internet of creativity.
0: You could even say that we are the internet (laughs) i
1: think i think we could say that nina we absolutely could say that
0: so it's funny isn't it that people are like pearls i don't know how this is going to come out but people are like the pearl where in the shell there's a little bit of sand or a little bit of grit and the more that rubs against the pearl it's more like oh something something else something else is happening something else is possible and I think it just depends on where you're at, but there is something so excitingly beautiful about being rubbed in that way, because yeah. it, it changes our world. We are willing to look a little deeper. We're willing to maybe put aside any sense of comparison or lack or whatever the objective objections are in our mind. To just see what else is possible, which is a great line uh, a dear friend of mine uses, is what else is possible? And when we start to poke at that, other worlds open up and, and lives change.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, and as you were talking, I can't tell you, I was thinking of so many examples of people, adults that were told as children that they shouldn't sing or they can't sing. And and then they just carry around that belief their whole life, but they really have this deep desire to express themselves. And then w- when they realize that, oh, I can't sing, that was just something somebody told me that I believed. So I think this, you know, we all have a past, we all have conditioning, but to see it as just that, and to to see that, oh, that might not necessarily be true, what that person said to me when I was five years old or 10 or whatever.
0: We can be reconditioned.
1: We can. Yeah, exactly. Unconditioned. in fact.
0: <laughs> Even better.
1: Yeah. That's how I like to think of it.
0: Having that, the willingness to pause as you're suggesting and just notice, notice what's already available to us. That can be a real game changer.
1: Yes. I mean, what you just said, you could be an Alexander teacher, Nina. Pause and notice. I mean, that's, that is 99% of the work. Just to slow down, notice what's happening. Notice yourself in the in the moment. Notice how the mind wants to go to a better future or try to fix the past, but it's all happening right now. Mm. So is that
0: the essence of the Alexander technique? Because I know nothing about it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it it is for me. It changes every day, of course, but but there are ways that are consistent about it for me and how it shows up and slowing down pausing listening uh, listening in the both literal and metaphorical sense to listen to our bodies to listen to our the deeper part of ourself that's not always yakking in the background and um it's all there it's all here everything we need
0: well that's a game changer in and of itself that idea that everything is right here and available to us
1: we we in our live events when we had them hope to have them soon we would give people a skeleton key and say everything you have everything you need is inside of you you just need to unlock it Mm. it's not it's not out there it's in here
0: i love that Mm -hmm. Mm. well i've loved this conversation Me too. thank you for being here with me and can you just tell us what you're doing these days and a little bit about where people can find you
1: yeah so we're running various programs we are we have an ongoing program called the tvf academy for singers we have programs for voice teachers um we have a advanced training program for people that want to be come alexander teachers and um so all of that can be found at totalvocalfreedom.com and uh there's a there's a contact button i think where people can Send me an email, I'm happy to speak further with anybody and see where the conversation goes.
0: Well, they will be lucky to have a conversation with you, that's very clear.
1: Oh, thanks, Nina. It's so sweet. This is such a great thing you're doing, really. What a gift to the world to have these conversations.
0: Well, I'm just holding the microphone for Mm -hmm. everyone else to be able to share (laughs) their, their insight too. And I think the more we do that, the more. People are willing to take some risks and explore and as you say, be a little more quiet and notice what's, what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And what could go on?
1: Yes yes and I think I think we are in dire need of, of creativity in the world right now more more creativity. We need creative solutions to the many problems that we're facing yeah. So it, mu- it must come through through something new through being free from the past and create something new.
0: Oh, I love that. All right, Peter. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Nina. This was so lovely to speak with you. And you.